We have been uh, taking a look at the life of Daniel, drawing some lessons from his life. And uh, one of the most remarkable characteristics of, of Daniel is his consistent faithfulness. Day in and day out, he was true to his God. Call it constancy or, again, consistency, um, perseverance, endurance, sheer gutsiness. He lived his faith 24-7. And when you live your faith like that, people notice. Daniel was standing out in the crowd. God had favored him. Now, uh, by this time, Daniel became an an older man. He uh, turned 80. He had quickly climbed in the ranks of power in what was then the Medo-Persian Empire, which is a successor to the Babylonian Empire, and Daniel had become one of the top three administrators of the entire kingdom. In fact, Daniel so distinguished himself as an administrator that King Darius had planned to uh, make him the, uh, the main guy for the entire kingdom. But this made all of the other administrators and governors jealous, and it was galling to them that the king would favor a foreigner, you know, a Jew in exile, uh, above uh, them all. And so they set out to ruin God's, or uh, sorry, Daniel's reputation. But the Scripture is telling, and so we pick it up at uh, verse 4 of chapter 6. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Now, I find that last statement to be remarkable, and uh, my cynical self uh, says, wouldn't it be cool if you could look at people in government and find no evidence of corruption or negligence? I mean, wouldn't that be something? (laughs) Um, But it was remarkable in, in that as they looked at Daniel's life, they couldn't find anything that was less than admirable. We will never find any basis for charges against these people unless it has something to do with the law of their God, referring to, uh, to, the, to the Jews. Wouldn't it be great if non-Christians could look at us and um, find nothing less than admirable? Would that a watching world would find nothing in us that would bring dishonor to the name of God? So since then, uh, Daniel's jealous peers could not find anything in his life that smacked of corruption or negligence. They figured they would, they would uh, attack him along the lines of his religion. And so the story continues. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, "'May King Darius live forever!' The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, 
shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, Your Majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, this proposal flattered the king. I mean, what king would not, to be, would not want to be considered to be a god and wouldn't want to be prayed to at least for 30 days? And, uh, you know, the kings in those days were just, just full of themselves. And so this sounded really good. He signed the decree. And in that day and culture, once the king signed the decree, it could not be revoked even by the king himself. Daniel knew what this meant. For 30 days, he would have to cease his customary practice of praying three times daily before his open window in the direction of Jerusalem, or else he would be thrown into the lion's den. And uh, for Daniel, you know, it wasn't so much the threat of being thrown to the lions as much as it was the fact that he couldn't pray in public. He couldn't do what he was accustomed to doing for 30 days. Now, we would probably say, now, come on, Daniel. I mean, this is not that big a deal. 30 days is not a life sentence. I mean, you can, uh, you know, you don't have to pray before the open window three times. And besides, they're not asking you to bow before an idol uh, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were required to do. Surely you can let your personal devotion slide a little bit, you know, at least for a month. After all, there are many Christians who will go a whole month without uh, offering concentrated prayer. So, come on, Daniel. Daniel, you can stop praying so publicly. All you have to do is close your window and pray secretly. But Daniel did not decide to do that. And so we read. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. I love that phrase, just as he had done before. He kept on doing what he had always done. His prayer life uh, had become a well-established pattern of his life, and he would not change. For Daniel, his relationship with God came first. He was committed to his, to his God, and his, his prayer regime was, in his eyes, out of simple obedience and faithfulness to his God. So he would keep on doing it no matter what. It didn't matter if the whole world was against him. And in a sense, it was. Daniel was very lonely. There's no word here about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all his friends. Maybe they had died by this time. I don't know. But he was very lonely. But in spite of the very real threat to his life, he continued to pray in defiance of the king's decree and did so openly, continuing to throw open his windows to Jerusalem. Now, here's another thing that is great about Daniel, what made him such a great man, because not only was he committed to his faith in God and, and lived it, practiced, but he practiced his faith openly. The windows were open. He went public 
with his faith. In fact, all his life, he was public with his faith, not in an obnoxious way, mind you, but he was simply being true to who he was. He was God's man, and he lived as God's man. And he did not care what people thought or what pressures were brought against him to conform to the culture. He would do what God had called him to do, come what may. He didn't hide his convictions. He didn't put his light under a bushel, but he continued to kneel before the windows facing Jerusalem, and he prayed as he had always done. Now, it seems to me that we could use a few more Daniels who uh, are simply who God has called them to be and to do. So many folks want to hide their faith. They don't let their convictions be known out of fear. They might be rejected. People might not understand. Some people don't even want people to know that they even go to church. And there's fear in our culture today because oftentimes against Christians, there's a lot of hostility. Maybe you've experienced some of that in your daily round. But God's people need to be who they are. Again, not obnoxious. We've met obnoxious Christians, right? (laughs) But we just need to let our light shine. People who are willing to open the windows of their lives and honor God before a watching world. Daniel did not keep his discipleship secret. If everybody kept their discipleship secret, no one would know anything about God or about Jesus Christ and what He's done for us. There are times when we have to throw open the windows to our friends and neighbors and say, this is who we are, and this is what matters to me. This is what counts with me. And knowing God has helped me, maybe God could help you. But now there's a sense that, that, that faith is so private, we can't even talk about it. Really? How can you not talk about something that's central to your life? So Daniel, unbowed and unafraid, continued his practice of prayer with his windows open to the world. And the conspirators knew they had Daniel this time because apparently they knew that this Daniel was so devoted to his God that he would be willing to go into the den of lions. They couldn't wait to see him get eaten up by a bunch of hungry animals. And so the story continues. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. 
But then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king, that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. Apparently, King Darius had a soft spot in his heart for Daniel, and he did not wish to lose his most talented administrator. But he could not revoke his decree. Daniel, for his part, prayed to the Lord for help, which means that he certainly knew what danger he was in. But he was determined to be faithful to the end, come what may. His courage in the face of danger would inspire the people of God down through the centuries. The story ends. Wonder what happens. We're about to find out. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the, of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. But then this is the gory part. You know, there's, sometimes you read these Bible stories and then it gets really kind of gory. So children have to close their ears. I mean, oftentimes we've seen in the life of Daniel, you know, somebody gets cut up into pieces <laughs> so the story ends. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Now, that's a little bit more detail than we really needed, but, uh, but anyway. <laughs> I did not write this. <laughs> Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, 
and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So God showed his favor upon his servant Daniel, delivering him from the mouth of hungry lions. Now, it's been said, a good many people believe the reason the lions did not eat Daniel in the lion's den was because he was all backbone. Ooh. Daniel had backbone, all right. He was faithful to the end, standing firm in his trust in God. Daniel could be so courageous and so steadfast in his faith because he walked with, the God, with God daily. His prayer life was rich. He knew that God was with him in every circumstance, in every trial, yes, in every crisis, even in a den of lions. He leaned on the Lord for strength and was able to trust Him in all things, giving Him incredible boldness and courage in the face of certain death. Daniel was consistently faithful to God, and God proved to be faithful to Daniel, rescuing him from the den of lions. Now, to be sure, God does not always rescue His servants in this fashion. In the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, in the 11th chapter, which is the chapter of the, of the great hall of faith, the great heroes of the faith, Hebrews speaks of those who by faith shut the mouths of lions, which, was a, which is a direct reference to Daniel. But immediately after that phrase... The book also speaks of those who were tortured and refused to be released, faced jeers and flogging, were stoned, were sawed in two, were put to death by the sword, and suffered many other punishments. God calls some people to win by living, and God calls some people to win by dying. But in life or in death, God rules and we're called to serve Him to fulfill His calling, no matter the cost. And throughout Christian history, as I say, the courage of Daniel has been on display, a model for people of faith, challenging the powers that be, confronting injustice and evil, refusing to bow the knee to peer pressure, or to cultural conformity, they have been willing to pay the cost to be faithful. Just one example, I think of Martin Luther, who stood up before the most powerful church council, a bunch of powerful men of the Catholic church, called to defend himself. And if you maybe you remember his words, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Can't you picture Luther standing there in the middle with all of these powerful men of the, of the church wanting to do him in? I mean, there was Martin Luther in the middle of the lion's den. And yet he stood firm. There's another Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr., 
who could say, I still believe that standing up for the truth of God is the greatest thing in all the world. This is the end of life. The end of life is not to achieve pleasure and avoid pain. The end of life is to do the will of God, come what may. Martin Luther King Jr. does not always, I mean, people often don't talk about the motivation of his Christian faith, but it was very strong. I mean, he, uh, reverent, right? But very, very strong motivation. And he was bound and determined to carry out God's will no matter the cost. And, of course, it cost him his life. So that was the spirit of Daniel, and that spirit continues in people of faith who know that God and the advancement of, of the kingdom of God is the, most, uh, is the most important reality in life. It's a reality that is worth giving your life to. And so we have to ask ourselves, how important is God in our life? How important is it? Is our God worth living for and, yes, even dying for? People will die for their country. People die for their faith. Now, you and I may not be thrown to the lions, thanks be to God, and uh, we may not have to defend ourselves before a church council or literally have to sacrifice our lives for the kingdom of God. You and I may not be called to perform great heroic deeds of self-sacrifice. But you and I can stand faithfully wherever God has put us, honoring God in our decisions, both great and small, living always with a view to living for Him, honoring Him, walking with Him day by day in simple obedience. Consistently, constantly, never falling down on the job. Simply being who God has called us to be and to do. Now, when Pompeii, the city of Pompeii, was destroyed by the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, there were many people who were, were buried in the ruins, and uh, some were found in cellars, all huddled together, you know, finding, trying to find security. Others were found in the upper rooms. Of, of buildings. Um, but where was uh, the Roman soldier who was called to guard the city gate? Where did he go? Well, he didn't go anywhere. He stood his ground right there, right where the captain had placed him, with his hands still grasping his weapon. And there, while the earth shook beneath him and there was a great flood of ash and cinder came down all around him, he stood faithfully at his place. And he was still to be found a thousand years later, right there in that spot. Okay, not breathing, <laughs> but his remains were there. His hand, the skeletal hand, still holding on to his weapon right where the captain had put him. So, too, you and I need to stand faithfully wherever God has put us. No matter how tough life gets, no matter what pressures come down, no matter the trial, the crisis. Some time ago, uh, the Reverend Billy Graham was asked what he wanted on his epitaph, on his tombstone. 
And uh, Reverend Graham, without hesitation, said, he was faithful. That's it. He was faithful. That's how he wanted his life summed up. He was faithful, faithful to his God and faithful to his calling. And so may the same be said of you and me, that we be found consistently faithful, faithful to the end, always trusting the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your love made known in Christ. Lord, you have been ever faithful to us. Great is your faithfulness, morning by morning. And your steadfast love towards us endures forever. Lord, may we be found faithful. Give us what we need to be faithful, because if we were relying only on our resources, we would run away. We need you, Lord. Help us to stand where you have placed us, to be obedient to you, and to honor you in all things, in all that we say and all that we do. Lord, help us as much as we can by your Spirit to follow the example of your servant, Daniel. Amen.